Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Coming up today on the show, Griffin Sturgeon of the Seattle Overload podcast joins me doing what Griffin does best, breaking down scheme, X's and O's, and specifically talking about the potential fit of Dan Quinn as the next head coach here in Seattle. He is scheduled to interview with the team on Thursday. The Cowboys being eliminated from the playoffs now mean that the Seahawks can move forward in any fashion they want to with Quinn. There are other guys to interview, but we're going to focus on Quinn here. He's the most natural candidate and he's also a bit polarizing with some of you in the fan base. Some of you like the idea, some of you do not. Maybe you'll feel differently one way or the other after listening to today's interview. We're going to talk about the fit, potentially, of Dan Quinn as the next head coach of the Seahawks here in Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're enjoying NFL playoff football. It's uh, certainly been interesting watching these games with a little bit different viewpoint now. If you're like me, you're watching potential candidates, right? As you watch those games yesterday, you see the Houston Texans blow out Cleveland and run up uh, over 40 points, although including two pick sixes by the defense, but really having their way against that really good Cleveland Browns defense. And you ask yourself, well, Bobby Slowick the young offensive coordinator in Houston, potentially a head coaching candidate. Does that make him look a little more appealing in your eyes? Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Lions, had a really good day yesterday operating that offense of the Lions in a win uh, over the Rams as they advance in the playoffs. And then you see what happened with the Dallas Cowboys and the Packers yesterday with Dan Quinn coordinating, coordinating that defense for the Cowboys. And as good as that defense has been, as, as good as his reputation is as a potential head coach, um, not a good day for him at the office yesterday. We're going to get into that uh, with Griffin here in a minute. In the meantime, uh, like this video on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the channel, best way to support it, and get notification of new episodes. And if you prefer audio podcasts, uh, subscribe wherever you prefer your audio content. But if you want to listen to episodes without ads, you can do so on Spotify. And right now it's just 99 cents a month to subscribe. And on the audio version of this episode, you will get bonus content. A couple of in-depth questions I ask Griffin that will not be included in this video version. For today, I wanted to focus on Dan Quinn and whether uh, Griffin feels like his schemes would work here, how much of a similarity or departure would it be, how how different might it be than what we see with Pete Carroll? Because some of you have... have have said directly to me, have have said in the comments of these videos that we've been doing over the last week, 
that you don't like the idea of Dan Quinn because he's too close to Pete Carroll and you want a complete change. Let me know in the comments afterwards how you feel uh, differently or the same after listening to this interview with Griffin Sturgeon. This is Griffin and I talking earlier today on Seahawks Forever. Joining me now, one half of the great duo over at the Seattle Overload podcast, Griffin Sturgeon. He's been on the show before. I couldn't wait to get him back, especially after news broke last week that Pete Carroll would not be the head coach of the Seahawks. Griffin, uh, let's start there. Obviously, now we've had some time to digest the decision and just kind of wrap our heads around the fact that Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach of the Seahawks. And as we enter this offseason, we can't talk about what he's going to do to fix things or whether or not his scheme can work or whether or not his message is being lost. Just now that you've had some time to think about it, how do you feel about the decision to move on from Pete Carroll? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was I was in the camp of wanting to keep Pete. Um, I didn't think um, I understand being really disappointed with how the season went, but I didn't think there were enough uh, data points to support like we need to move on from this guy for the sake of moving on. Um, I, I certainly agree with many people that this season was disappointing. I think you know after you 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 get to the playoffs last year off of a year that kind of surprised most people. You've got momentum. You know, you just drafted Devin Witherspoon, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. You're supposed to be improving. Um, the defense is supposed to fix itself, not get even worse. Continue to improve there. Um, you know, you've got all this hope, right? And then, and then they they end up failing to meet expectations. Um, but failing to meet expectations is you're still talking about a nine and eight team that just narrowly missed out on the on the playoffs. So um, while I share a lot of the criticisms of how this season went, the way I view it is that it was just kind of the uh, they were on the wrong side of a variance swing, really, with, with a lot of factors. I, I mm. think um, the fact that the offense was still ranked 10th overall, at least in EPA, in spite of probably a bottom five O-line that was only bottom five, really because of injury, I think speaks to his ability to manage his offensive staff and the offensive staff he hired to generally keep the offense alive. And then also the offense got better throughout the year, too. And in the second yeah. half of the season, they improved on red zones and red zone proved on third downs. Um, defensively, though, we kind of saw the opposite happen. They they little slow start, but they were getting progressively better and better. And then midpoint of the season, they just fell apart. Um, so th- that definitely warrants an inspection. And, and I was, too. I just didn't think the solution had to be moving on from Carroll. I, I thought the, um, the likeliest path for the Seahawks to get better, I thought, was um, kind of staying on course and then making a few tweaks to the coaching staff um, getting healthy and then adding maybe one more player here or there, stuff that was within their means to do. They still had to prove that they would have been able to do it. Hmm. Um, but I just, I took that proposition as more likely than a whole new staff coming in, r- rallying around the core players and then trying to do the same thing. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think a new staff can't. I think a new staff could come in. They could win tw- anywhere between 11 and 13 games next year if, if you know, they're, they're, they're all an all-star staff, right? Um, I was just trying to weigh like what feels more likely. And I just felt like it was so unlikely that the season went the way it did this year that um, even if things relatively stayed the same and they got a do over on that season, they probably are pushing 10, 11 wins anyway. Um, And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I viewed it. Um, I understand there's a lot of like mounting negative sentiment toward Pete that kind of was pre-existing with the, the end of the Russell Wilson era and stuff, but I kind of viewed that era, that era as more of a credit to Carroll. Um, so I guess just for personally me, I didn't have like that pre-existing like Pete's on thin ice type of mentality. Yeah. It was really only this year where I personally was raising an eyebrow, but I also didn't think he couldn't come back from that either. So 
but we're here now. Right. So. Yeah. yeah and, and obviously as you touched on, it was the downfall of the defense, which is his niche and his forte that, that I think spelled the end for him. And yeah. you've, one of the things I appreciate about your analysis is, is you're very thoughtful and objective when looking at it and you, you watch the tape and you let the tape tell you what's going on. And um, so you've been, throughout this process, you've been a lot more positive as you just spelled out that they weren't as far away from being uh, a, a, a decent defense that maybe fans thought they were. So mm-hmm. the perception was, there's been a lot of speculation and some reporting about the fact that when he, when he went into these end of the year meetings, he obviously had to pitch his plan. He had to sell ownership on what he was going to do to fix it. These fixes that he's been promising for two years now, but in particular, the last six weeks or so of the season, what do you think if, if you were a fly on the wall of those meetings and, and based on what you saw on tape and what you think needed to be fixed, what do you think Pete was pitching to them in those meetings to convince them that we do have a chance to be good defensively next year? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the disagreement was over th- them trying to force certain staff changes. Like if, if, if they were going to give him another shot, it was probably related to you know, here are the conditions and maybe Pete out of principle didn't want to agree to them. And he kind of hinted at that, you know, why fire Pete and not fire John. Right. Um, So, and, and, you know, supposedly the whole staff is gone. So it's just, it's kind of like the situation, the circumstances were probably more nuanced than what's been, you know, officially reported. Right. (laughs) Excuse me. But as far as those, um, those changes he would have made, um, I think this year in 2022 and, or in 2023, in contrast to 2022, the core structure of the scheme is what they needed to be. Whereas in 2022, I thought they were kneecapping themselves and they played worse than they actually had to be. They had good scheme in front of them. They didn't use it. They used other, and this is very simplistic, but they used other stuff that they weren't as good in. This year, I thought on paper, they weren't um, they weren't putting themselves in an active disadvantage by what they were scheming with. I thought if you want to be a too high team, but you want to defend the run, but you also want to be able to defend the run out of a front that accentuates your pass rushers. This on paper is the core structure you need to build out of. And I think that's the, the, the proof of concept of that quote unquote core structure is in the fact that they were the 10th ranked defense through the first seven weeks of the season. So the, the theory of it was like something here works. Now we can point to uh, opponent strength of schedule or whatever, which is, I I understand, I I get that. But the point is to go from 10th for seven games to literally bottom three, maybe even the worst for the next 10. It's quite the the sinusoidal, you know, like the bipolarization, right? So I think in Pete's mind, he's thinking, I need to recapture what worked the first seven weeks. I don't need to make a bunch of like tweaks to the core stuff the way he did coming off of 2022. What he needs to do is he clearly needs one more pass rusher. He needs to remedy the linebacker situation, which I thought could have happened simply by Brooks being the mic and Bobby being the will so that Brooks stays on the field. Him being the mic means you can open up your, your coverage package because he can carry things the way that Bobby can't anymore. Um, and then, and then you kind of just need some, some health on in the secondary because guys were kind of in and out. I mean, I know that's a cop out, but I, yeah. any, any year you look at top five defenses, they're healthy whether they're good, they're talented, well-coached and healthy. So, I mean, you need to be lucky and good a little bit, but anyway, um, so you kind of need to go back to what was working and reestablish that. And that I think losing Nwosu was huge. And, and mm-hmm. Nwosu himself is not the difference between being 
a top three run defense like they were for seven games than a bottom three run defense. But I think he's kind of um, his absence kind of led to like this domino effect. So like there are compounding effects elsewhere. But I think you go back to that core structure and then what then the scheme didn't have that it needed were layered in more supplementary calls, com- complementary calls off of that the, the the look of that core structure. And that's what was missing. That's what I was kept looking for. I'm like, all right, where are the fire zones to take away this kind of run concept? Where's the pass call that helps take away the RPO and allows you to continue to be um, and allows you to continue to be um, sound for explosives, et cetera. So um, that, that's, that's where, that's where I was scratching my head. I'm like, where is this stuff? And I'm sure that's where Pete was thinking like, all right, I need to allow once Clint figured out that he could find his core stuff. I, as the head coach need to infuse more of these supplementary calls, something that I know people don't reflect fondly on the Ken Norton junior years, but Ken Norton junior had a lot of multiplicity off of his core looks. And that really reflected in his ability to defend the run against elite run defenses, at least. So if they had that and they were able to stay healthy, I think that that would have made a huge difference. That's probably the direction Pete would have gone. I don't think Pete would have made all these wholesale um, scheme changes. I just don't think they're necessary. I think it was the actual coaching of it um, is, is where, th- where things got to rise. So. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Griffin Sturgeon of the Seattle Overload Podcast joining me today. Griffin, um, let's look ahead now, right? We've we've kind of... um, or maybe some of us anyway, have gone through the process of mourning uh, the loss of Pete Carroll and tried to wrap our heads around what a Seattle Seahawks team might look like without him dancing around on the sidelines in his hoodie. When you look at what's out there, and there's been a lot of reporting done today about candidates that the Seahawks have reached out to and uh, requested interviews with, um, and then obviously lots of speculation around Dan Quinn being the front runner. When you look at the pool of candidates, And let me just put this up here real quick. This is something I threw together the other day. These were my initial top five. This was kind of my knee-jerk reaction top five. Ben Johnson, the coordinator in Detroit. Mike Vrabel recently fired as head coach of the Titans. Dan Quinn, of course. Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator in Houston. And then Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator in Baltimore. Those are just kind of my initial five. Who are some guys that when you look at the pool of candidates that you think would fit what this roster offers now and then scheme wise guys that you like. Yeah. Um, it's the, I, I like how there, there are defensive guys, there are offensive guys, and then there are guys that have a background on one side of the ball, but are kind of seen more as like a culture program esque kind of head coach. that like Dan Campbell, like, like Pete Carroll, right? Like Jim Harbaugh. Um, so I, I wonder where, what direction, like, is Schneider just going to go, I don't care, like, what your brand is. I just, whoever blows me away the most in the interviews is who I want. Or does he kind of value the, the like, what Carol brought in terms of, like, here's the culture, here's the program, here's how we run the team. If we get that right, then everything else falls into place with, with the coordinators, right? So yeah. right off the bat, names like that are probably, like, Vrabel and Quinn, right? Now, obviously, Quinn has his defense and stuff, but I don't think he'll be calling plays 
if he's the head coach, I don't think he called plays in Atlanta. I think he let his DCs do that. So um, that said, also what what is going to get Quinn a head coaching job is him calling plays for the Dallas Cowboys defense, right? In spite of his horrible playoff loss uh, against the Packers on Sunday. So um, that, that might be a little a little hairy now. I don't know. I don't know how Schneider will view that, but um, I kind of view them as like the culture guys. They run the ship. They run a tight ship, right? And they'll probably attract coordinators. I think that's why I'm most excited about Vrabel or Quinn is because they make good OC hires for the most part. Um, and they, they know like what, what went well for them and what didn't go well for them. And it's kind of sourced to their offense crumbling. So um, yeah. I think they would really focus, they would get the cream of the crop of, of uh, offensive play caller. And even though some of these names are really exciting on the market, they're offensive minded, the, 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 the guys that offensive play callers that aren't looking at head coaching candidates, there's going to be a lot of those guys that are really interesting. So with Quinn or Vrabel comes package the prospect of also a good offensive mind, I think, in addition. But um, that said, um, you know, I like I like what Ben Johnson's doing in Detroit. I like what Slowick is doing in Houston. Um, I mean, I like them individually. I like them as play callers. I like their offenses. Where I might kind of differ or might, or might come as a hot take for some is that at least from a like marginal value that they're providing, I'm not sure that they're necessarily better than Shane Waldron. Um, and, and I know that like, you know, Johnson has the hype, Sloak has the hype, Shane Waldron and his staff just got fired. Right. But in, in looking at their offenses, I mean, both, both those teams, the Lions and Texans have above average offensive lines and they aren't necessarily better than the Seahawks in the aggregate. Like the Seahawks are the 10th ranked offense. So when, when we're comparing to like what Seahawks had previously, like the Seahawks had a better offense than the Texans this year. Um, and, you know, Shane Waldron comes from Sean McVay and Slowick comes from Shanahan. So it's not like in hiring Slowick, you're accessing something the Seahawks have never seen before. Um, so, and, and again, it doesn't mean I don't think Slowick is bad. It's just, it's more that I think that Shane was already kind of pretty good and, and was managing what he managed with like a horrific offensive line situation hmm. that I think is predominantly sourced to, to injury, uh, making it so horrific. But that said, I mean, you know, still on the play caller to 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 manage the the backups and everything and, and try to get the most out of them. I might argue that Shane, for the most part, did, but that doesn't mean slow. It couldn't come in, you know, get Charles Cross healthy, Abe Lucas healthy, have a brand new notion of what he wants to do. And it could be fireworks, you know, like I'm not against it. Um, I'm just not as I just don't know how far they would take the offense if, if the O-line doesn't. Um, uh, positively regress, I guess I would say. Griffin, I want to focus on that now. Let's let's sure. do that. Taking taking some of what I've heard from you because Dan Quinn is the most known quantity that's available. He's the guy that's been speculated the longest. There was even uh, there were even people that thought that he pulled his name out of consideration out of the head coaching cycle last season because some thought he might be waiting to see if the Dallas job opened up, but that he could mm-hmm. see the light at the end of the tunnel in Seattle. And this is ultimately where he wanted to be when you start connecting dots. Like it just makes so much sense. Um, and, and you know, the most about him, I would imagine of all these coaching candidates and what he might offer. If Dan Quinn were announced Friday as a head coach in Seattle, he's expected to interview Thursday. I would think given the history, that's going to be an in-person interview. It can be now because they've been eliminated from the playoffs if Dan Quinn is named coach of the Seahawks on Friday, how do you feel about his ability to succeed here? 
I, I'm not I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not wowed by it, but I I, I think that there's definitely a path for excuse me where, where this works. Um, like for someone that didn't want Pete Carroll gone, I, I view I view the positives of Quinn as continuity of of the mm-hmm. the good things of Carroll, or at least a chance at continuity of that. Um, I, I think that, you know, how well you run your team like really matters and that that's how you sustain stuff. I mean, that's, that's how Jim Harbaugh is able to attract good coordinators and how his offense and defense, like he can become an offensive team or a defensive team or a balanced team. You know, he's, he's willing to wear different hats. Um, I think Quinn, you know, obviously we know in Atlanta, like Kyle Shanahan lit the world on fire. They lost Shanahan, but he hired Sark, Sark and they had a really good offensive following year. Not quite as good but then you lose Sark to college and then the next OC isn't as good. I think it was a dirt cutter and, it's the, and Matt yeah. Ryan regressed. Yeah. And then he saw, saw what happened. Then he also, they couldn't hit on their defensive draft pick. So, I mean, I imagine that he's learned lessons from Atlanta. He's learned lessons from Dallas. He knows. And he looks around at his own, the Carol Quintry around the league, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryan's even in San Francisco. And like, what what's the common thread, his own defense in Dallas, the common thread are blue chips at D line. And really, I mean, that's kind of the lesson for every elite defense that sustains it. You right. need you need guys everywhere. But, I mean, pass rush just makes everything easier. And so it's got Demarcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons. They drafted Mozzie Smith. I mean, the philosophy is there of just get dudes up front. Um, and he didn't have dudes up front in Atlanta, like nothing, a far cry. Yeah, um, he had Grady Jarrett, pass- and that was about it. Yeah, they just never yeah, really that, delivered that. That was him. about it. His best edge is out of the league, you know. Yeah. So he goes to Seattle. Um I mean, they've got pieces up front, you know, but not like the, the the tier one guy. They've got like two or three tier two guys, which you can do a lot of, right, a lot with. Um, but he probably, you know, he and John are like, all right, we need guys up front by all means. There should be a guy at 16. One of those guys will fall this this year in the draft. And then, on, you know, when it comes to his OC hire, he's probably, I think Geno Smith is viewed as a, an, an attraction to a potential mm-hmm. um, play caller to Dan Quinn himself. Um, he's going to go get the, the best offensive mind he can to call plays. Um, and there's a laundry list of guys proven and not quite as proven, but still have good reputations that will be available to them. Um, so I, 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 I could see it. I could see it. I think bringing in Quinn would also mean would signal that Schneider isn't interested in blowing up the roster. I mean, he'd probably make the moves he would have made uh, anyway had Pete stayed on. Um, but I don't think, you know, it's like, all right, everyone's gone, but Devin Witherspoon uh, type type of yeah. thing, you know? Right. Um, so, which I don't think it needs to be because again, mm-hmm. like we are only two months removed from the defense being on the track that it needed to be. So I just, I think you, you know, you, you, you take the skeleton and shake off the parts you don't need, but you keep that core, that, that skeleton. And, you know, you add a couple more pieces, get the right coaching staff in there. And, you know, you, you, you could be competing uh, this time next year in January. So, well, that's, that's the intriguing thing to me. And I think it should be for most fans is, is just to remind them because there is a faction of the fan base out there that doesn't want any part of Dan Quinn because they want, uh, they want to completely sever all ties with Carol. I think it's a small part of the fan base, but, but he's not going to be looked upon with as much excitement or adrenaline rush by fans because he's not the new hot name. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about what you think we would see on the field if he's the hire, because, you know, Pete, it's well known and nobody has dissected this as much as you and Maddie on the Seattle Overload podcast over the last couple of years in the way he has tried to change his scheme and, and go to more of a Vic Fangio style three, four, 
base defense, whereas Quinn still rides with basically what Pete used to run here and, and the framework of those defenses we saw uh, at the beginning of the Pete Carroll era. If, if again, speculate yeah. for me, if, if Dan Quinn took the job today with the roster that exists and for now, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, Leonard Williams and Jordan Brooks are part of that. The roster that we saw end the season, this season that was sure. flailing away uh, for the most part at the end of the year, what changes would we be able to see as fans with our eyeballs on the field personnel wise, how guys are used and and how that might look different? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's hard to answer because the, when I think of the, you know, the Carroll defense, he's had for, for all the things that are kind of said about it. I mean, I, I think that he's lived in very different parts of his playbook like Pete has anyway. And um, o- over the years, I mean, he's not just the, the four, three over four, three under cover three, like they've, they've switched it up so much since then. So the, the term Carroll defense, like, really what that means to me at this point is, is really like your, how all those different worlds kind of what, what, what connects them. That's really like, like individual player techniques. That's, you know, like, like a run fit philosophy, like how the, what's this, that to me is what the Carroll defense is as far as like the more tangible things that you can point to on a chart, like how much cover three do you run? How much cover one do you run? Are you running a three, four bear or a three, four under, are you running a four, three bear or four, you know, to yeah. me, that's just more like, who are your guys available to you? And th- that is where I have some optimism with Quinn because what he's doing with Dallas is, one, he's he's looking around the league like Saul is playing more quarters. Like, okay, I'll, I'll play some more quarters, especially on pass downs. Um, if I have a good nickel, I'll play cover one because you can have good outside corners, but if you don't have a good nickel, you can't play cover one because mm-hmm. he's going to be manned up in the slot. So you're only as good as your weakest link in cover one. Um he uh, he's also shown like year to year he's changed. So like he's even adapted within his Dallas tenure, like in 2022, he was playing a lot more quarters than he was this year. This year he got Stefan Gilmore. So he started playing more cover three match in addition to a lot of cover one. He's actually like no one plays more single high than Dan Quinn, except for, I think one other team this year, he's even playing more cover three than the Seahawks um, even, or no, that's not quite true, but one high more than the Seahawks. So I, I, I take that as like, you know, I'm not going to pigeonhole him. He he can, he'll look at the roster and be like, mm-hmm. all right, with Devin Witherspoon in the slot, I can play cover one when I need to. I've got the bodies up front to be, to play the classic, like four, three over reduced over with red Bryant, which looks a lot like a three, four, even though, I mean, it, it kind of functions like one, at least against the run. It kind of doesn't, um, he can, he can have a bear package. I mean, he liked using the bear package when he was in Seattle, which, Bear is effectively a 3-4, kind of a 3-4, like a reduced 3-4. Um, really, I mean, my answer to that is I have no idea because he can he can do he can live in the Chris Richard era, um, the Chris Richard world of the playbook. He can live in the Ken Norton Jr. part. He he can live in some of the Clint Hurt stuff, which the best parts overlap with what he's doing in Dallas right now. So I mean, he can just combine it and react to his personnel. So I would hope his guiding ethos would be let's just respond to the players that I have, but then most importantly, fill out the rest of my staff to coach them so that to make sure that every that they're executing, because I don't yeah. think by the end, Clint's hurt, Clint hurts ideas on paper ideas was what was failing him. I think it was his ability to communicate the ideas to his players and get otherwise talented mm-hmm. players executing the right way. I think that's where Quinn wouldn't screw up. I mean, over the last three years in Dallas, in spite of how he did against the Packers, over the last three years in Dallas, the Cowboys are the best defense 
in the, in the NFL, at least by EPA. So he sustained really high play. And, you know, you could say, well, look at his talent. Yeah, but if you give him talent, he's proven he won't screw it up. Like, he didn't screw up the Legion of Boom, right? Right. He didn't have talent in Atlanta. Now, did he get them playing better than they were? No, but he didn't. He also wasn't gifted a bunch of talent that he screwed up either. So um, I think in Seattle, he'd have a a lot more talent than he did in Atlanta, at least year one. You touch on something really interesting there about his adaptability. One of the main complaints that I hear time and time again from Seahawks fans is too much soft zone, too much soft zone, playing off guys. And also maybe kind of piggybacking on that, you know, not aggressive enough. Don't disguise coverages. Um, We don't, we don't really blitz enough. Right. Would, with what they have on hand with guys, Reek Wollen, Devin Witherspoon, some of the other young cornerbacks there, do you think that, Dan would tend to play more man, or do you think that's a complaint from fans that maybe has been a little misguided? Um, so I think that he probably would lean into man coverage. Um, I think that in 2022, anyway, the Seahawks, this might surprise some people, but in when rushing four, so rush four, cover three, just like standard classic cover three, the Seahawks in 2022 for the whole season were the best cover three team. Like they were no one better. Hmm. So they have the personnel in the backs. And also that was without Devin Witherspoon, right? Yeah. So you're right. upgrading Kobe from now. I think Bobby's part of why they regressed in cover three. Cause you yeah. need your hook players, your linebackers to be good. But anyway, they still have enough of that 2022 group on the team still that if he wants to be a cover three team, they can. Now the way the Seahawks use cover three though, that year, it was an aggressive form of cover three where they're carrying both seams and it's giving you the same schematic effect that cover one would. So the Seahawks technically didn't play cover one, but they were embracing the concept of it via their cover three, whether Quinn wants to do that version of cover three or just play man personally, I don't care, but I do think the, the intention would be let's man up, let's mark up. That also allows us to load the box when you're in cover one or, or, or match cover three if you load the box, it lets your pass rushers to be more aggressive against the pass too. So there is in some ways where cover three, cover one puts your pass rushers at an advantage, which can in turn help your, your coverage. Right. So I do think that, you know, long story short, he would embrace the idea of let's get aggressive one-on-one coverage, whether it's zone or man, more notions of one-on-one match coverage with his, with his pass rushers, always rushing the passer. I definitely think that would be a primary feature of the defense. Now, of course, the first concern uh, on any fan's mind when uh, evaluating a new coach is going to be how can they d- compete in our division, right? You have the San Francisco 49ers might be the best team in the league. You have the Rams who exceeded expectations this year, just get knocked out by the Lions yesterday, but they look like a team that's young now and their cap issues are behind them and and maybe they're ascending. Um, yeah. the, the, the Cowboys played the 49ers in week five this year and they got run. 42 to 10, uh, Brock Purdy had a huge day with four touchdown passes. They gave up 170 yards on the ground. Uh, it was kind of a, just sort of a full display of the 49ers offensive firepower. Does that concern you? The fact that at least in that small sample size, that one game, they weren't able to match up with that offense. Yeah, no, it's concerning. Um, I think for the 49ers though, they are, they are like, honestly, like they're one of the five best, most efficient offenses like ever this year. Right. I don't think it's it's possible for them to remain this good next year or the year after. I think that they're doomed to regress a little bit and they are going to have to make some contract decisions. So my general thing with this is like, you know, as we all know, the NFL isn't static. These things ebb and flow. 
Um, I mean, the, the Seahawks sustaining the defense that they did for four years, five years of the Legion of Boom is like unprecedented. If if the 49ers are as good right now as they are next year, it would be pretty darn close to unprecedented. So mm-hmm. I'm going to bank on like just the, the variance bug biting them a little bit and they're going to come down a little bit. Um, now, that doesn't mean Dan Quinn's done well against Shanahan. I think actually, so Deontay Lee of The Athletic, he tweeted today, Dan Quinn as a DC or, or or head coach is two and three against Shanahan, zero and three against Matt Lafleur, four and one against Sean McVay. Yeah. So there, there, it's a little, you know, it's a little, um, it's kind of all over the map. And then you wonder how much is this just individual versus individual, and not necessarily tree versus tree. You know, how much of it is circumstantial matchups of his individual personnel. Um, the way I see it is, I think that the Seahawks roster has the potential in it to be a top 10 defense especially if they make you know a couple of tweaks that are within their means to make Mm. and i think that the offense itself if the o-line just gets better and then you know say you get a hot shot oc that you really like i think the seahawks can be a 13-win team um that's a lot of if and buts i'm just saying i think it's within their it's it's a it might be the more one of the more unlikelier scenarios but i think it's plausible so um whoever they hire is going to have their work cut out for them in this division. I'm not dissuaded by Quinn for Quinn reasons necessarily. Whatever I'm dissuaded by, it's just because Shanahan is Shanahan. You know, we just have to hope that the 49ers crumble a little bit. And on the positive side, as you mentioned, even this year, that the, they did play the Rams and they they shut down that offense, albeit that's a game where Stafford got hurt and Brett Ripping had come in and play a little bit. But yeah, uh, but yeah that was a convincing win. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's had success against McVay. Um, one more question focusing on the defense, and then I want to talk about some offense before I let you go. Um, I asked you this the other day on Twitter. If And again, focusing on Dan Quinn, if he were to come in, you'd think he would want um, I, I would think Leonard Williams would be a priority as I think it is for John Schneider to try and bring him back as well as Jordan Brooks. And I asked you this and I was intrigued by your answer. If you could only have one, if you can only afford one of those guys, Leonard Williams, Jordan Brooks, who's the more important of the two to bring back? Yeah, I said Jordan Brooks. Um, I think my premise is that, again, it's another one of my probably unpopular opinions. I simply think Jordan Brooks is one of the five, six or seven best uh, linebackers in the league, off-ball linebackers, mm-hmm. guys that are 240 with his change of direction that can turn and run with seam routes that know where the dig route windows are. There's just so few of them exist. Um, you know, you might you might find a guy who can do all that stuff at 230, but then he can't give you anything in the run game like yeah. uh, Cody Barton. Yeah. And those guys so seem to that. be much more common now coming out of college. Right. I mean, Brooks, I mean, I, to me, it's like Fred Warner's at the top, but then you get into guys like Raquan Smith, Matt Milano, um, uh, DeMario Davis, and I, I'll throw Jordan Brooks right after those guys. Mm-hmm. I really think he's that kind of guy. And I think that the the value, especially as the league transitions to too high, we've, you know, when you're going too high, you're theoretically you're taking more pressure off the linebackers. But the this the ceiling of a too high team, I think, is really like what your middle linebacker can do because that's what opens up your coverage menu. If if he can carry a seam route, then that weak side to uh, single or that weak side high safety. Now he can double the the lone X receiver on the other side. If he can't, if that's Mike can't carry a guy, then he has to double someone coming off from the passing strength. And then now your weak side corners in the one-on-one situation, just like he would be in cover three. So like, is it really too high at that point? I mean, it is, but it's just that, that, that Mike gives you the flexibility, um, 
that I mean any DC wants. I mean when when I think Vic Fangio, the first per, first player that comes to mind is Patrick Willis. Hmm. You know, yeah. like people like you know too high. You know, when I when I think Vic Fangio again, I'm thinking well Roquan Smith in Chicago, like when they had an elite defense. So um, like. Fangio hasn't had an elite defense actually without an elite uh, middle linebacker. Like it didn't go as well in Denver as it could have. It's not going great in Miami. It's going okay, but not great. Uh, Brandon Staley managed without a good mic in in LA for one year, but that was with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald having the best seasons of their career, you know, and they're already incredible players. Um, Otherwise I'm looking around the league. I'm like, these guys need a good, uh, a lot of these two I teams need a good middle linebacker. And, I think the Seahawks had one in 2022, but then they moved him to Will, and it's just the they don't ask the Will to do as as many important things as mm-hmm. as they do the Mike, and I think it hurt them. So I would bring him back because um, if you don't, then then like you have to use one of your more premium picks on a linebacker. Yeah. You're just giving your starting from scratch in that case. Yeah, and so I'm like you know just cut cut Jamal and use the proceeds to to pay Jordan, you know, right. um, so. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I, I, where I am at with that. Also, I think you, it's easier to find Leonard Williams. It's easier to mm-hmm. find defensive linemen than it is to find that that kind of blue chip esque middle linebacker. Um, it's still hard to find them at D line. Don't get me wrong, but I just think like that's the most rare defensive player right now, archetype wise. Let's talk about offense for a minute. If it's Dan Quinn, do you think he'd be more likely than maybe some of these other young candidates to favor bringing Geno back and just roll with him, regardless of whether or not they draft a guy to groom for the future? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to judge what, what, what a defensive guy would, would think with Geno versus an offensive guy. A defensive guy might say, like Quinn, like you said, might go, okay, you know, we can get off the ground immediately, at least with Geno. I don't need to worry too much about the offense. But at the same time, an offensive guy might be like, hey, give me Geno. I can do something with this. So I, I don't know how to view it through through that lens. Um, I think that basically any coach is going to come in and say, there are obviously like, there are some good like second, third round quarterback names here, but there are like three guys that are going to go in the top five, probably Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Jaden Daniels in any order. And the, the top three native picks are all going quarterback. Yeah, The Seahawks are not going to be able to put together a competitive package to move into the top five, maybe even the top 10. I just don't think it's possible. They'd have to give up way too much. And then outside of that, I mean, yeah, sure. Go ahead, draft a guy in the second round, develop him, you know, third round, whatever, develop him. I think any coach that comes in is probably going to go, give me Geno for at least one year. Let me show ownership that I can win with serviceable at worst quarterback play. Um, as like a proof of concept, you know, uh, type of thing. Um, the, uh, but then, you know, an offensive mind might actually go, you know what, if I can do with Jared Goff what I did in Detroit, yeah. look look what I can do with Geno, who is basically Jared Goff who can throw downfield. Yeah. You know, um, that's oversimplistic. But I, I no, think Geno I've, I've used the same him. comp. Yeah. Yeah. So – well, let's know. let's talk about who might be calling the plays then to finish up, because the thing about Dan Quinn that that he offers, I think, um, more so than those other candidates is clear connections to who those names might be. And uh, I want to start with Kellen Moore, who had such an interesting run in Dallas, you know, just a really young guy was handed those reins at a young age. Um, we certainly know him in this region from his time. I mean, he played it. Prosser High School. I covered his dad when they were rolling teams back then. And then he went to Boise State and um, still makes Washington his home. His tenure in Dallas is interesting because he was fired 
I mean, Mike McCarthy yeah. essentially uh, moved on from him because he wanted to take play controlling back and even kind of threw him under the bus at the time, said he didn't run the football well enough or to my liking. But when you look at the offensive ranks of those Dallas offenses while Kellen Moore was there, top four, yeah. top five in most categories during that time, hard to judge what he did this last year with the Chargers because it was so dysfunctional and Herbert was was playing hurt for most of the time. But what would your thoughts be um, on it? Let me just make it into a compound question then, because the other option is Brian Schottenheimer, right? Like that, that would freak some fans out. But yeah. he's currently in title, the offensive coordinator in Dallas, although he doesn't call plays. And if you were thinking about rolling with Geno Smith, you would have continuity because he's played for him yeah. before. Of those two guys, um, your thoughts on both of them? I would I would lean on Kellen Moore. Um, I think the, the fresh face would, would help. I think, I don't know if ownership wants to retread, even if it would be warranted. It'd be tough to do both, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it yeah. would. I, I, I be like a tougher sell. Yeah, for sure. I like Schottenheimer. I liked him as a, as a Seahawks OC. Um, he's he's coordinated a lot of different types of offenses. But I am impressed with Kellen Moore. I would. I think the the youth movement isn't. I'm not against youth for the sake of it. You know. Um, I I would. I, I think I would lean uh, uh, on Kellen Moore. Yeah. And then maybe you answered your own question there because you know if you bring Quinn back you know, there'd be the perception if you go too heavy into continuity, but you've said some things today, even, um, that are, that speak well of Shane Waldron and he's obviously free to look for other jobs. He's been interviewed in Chicago. He may have some appeal to other teams there. What about the idea? And do you think it's something that Dan Quinn would consider of retaining Shane Waldron for total continuity on that side of the ball? Yeah. Um, I I, th I think Shane's a good OC. I think whether or not Dan would would push for that would be like his gauge of what the players think in terms of like player coach relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's something he would value like a lot, you know, because yeah. continuity can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Maybe I don't know. Um, the, the way I view Waldron's tenure in Seattle though is is really like the only areas where his offense didn't perform well, like those specific buckets, you can directly tie to like just completely inoperable protection. I mean, there's only so so much so much you can do. Outside of the 20s, the Seahawks were like the second or third best offense in the league. If you just look at early downs, they're the third or fourth best offense in the league, right after the 49ers and Dolphins, and right up there with the Bills. So, like the core structure of the offense with the O line could really could not have been better. Uh, I mean, they were they were the best play action team. They used a bunch of motion, which you know we all love motion. Um, the sixth most in the league, in fact. Um, they threw the ball a lot. It wasn't run heavy. They were a good short yardage running team, actually the best in the league in terms of converting first downs within within with three yards to go or less. Um, but then there were some things that led to be uh, that were left to be desired. So like some of like in particular sequencing, like uh, the second and long runs, like that that increased throughout the year. Uh, like is that a check at the line? Is it an RPO? I mean, sometimes it was where it's kind of out of the OC's hands. It's kind of just your your what you have designed into the offense, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like the 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 names that are available. Like they run more than than Waldron does. However conservative people thought Waldron was, these guys are even more conservative now. Would they be if they're calling the shots? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think Waldron's a good OC. Um, I think it's worth considering bringing him back, but I think Quinn probably probably just goes for a new name, um, and and try to like reset things like mentality wise. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's that's how I view that, I think. 
Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. This is uncharted territory for uh, for those of us who do what we do uh, and yeah. have over the last 14 years with Pete Carroll at the helm. helm. So, uh, you know, I, I've caught you saying it a couple times a day. I catch myself saying it many times a day. We just don't know. We really don't. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that kind of makes us, it's a little scary, but it makes this off season yeah, intriguing to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what's behind door number two is not always, it uh, doesn't always turn out to be the, the way to go. Um, sure. I, I appreciate your insight, especially as it, as it pertains to, to Dan Quinn and his potential as a match here. And uh, we'll certainly talk again in the next month or two. Uh, after we know who it is and what it might start to look like in regards to player personnel and scheme. So thanks again, Griffin Sturgeon of the Seattle Overload podcast. Let everybody know where they can, uh, where they can catch your stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, Maddie Brown and Ty Dan Gonzalez and I, we do a podcast called Seattle Overload um, where we just, you know, we look at tape. Uh, we will be talking about the draft. We're going to do a, a breakdown series on the, um, the 2013 playoff run. We'll just do uh, live tape walkthroughs of those games on defense. So, um, and, and more content, content like that. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Good. And thanks for reminding me that Ty is part of that show. Now it's, uh, been following Ty for a long time with both his Seahawks and Mariners content. So yeah, yeah uh, Ty's great. it's a pretty good trio over there. Uh, thanks again, Griffin. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Well, how do you feel now? How do you feel about the potential of Dan Quinn being the head coach here in Seattle? Not just how he might impact the defense, but how he might lead as a head coach, and some of those offensive coordinator possibilities that we talked about together. Do you have a preference? Do you like one more than the other? Do you have a new name? Might Dan try to recruit Arthur Smith, who's a free agent as a coordinator, had a couple of good years there in Tennessee before getting a head coaching job, or other names as well at Seahawks forever on Twitter like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and the audio platforms Uh, we'll be back with much more later in the week and certainly if there's any breaking news look if John Schneider wants to hire Dan Quinn we may hear that news by as early as Friday with the interview scheduled to happen Thursday if anything else happens along the way you know where to look Follow along for more on that. I am Dan Viennes. Thank you so much for watching and supporting the channel. Forever and always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.